0: The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today, Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world, and Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin.
1: And welcome everybody to episode 294 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am Caroline Wilson. I'm here with Cory Perkin for our penultimate performance of 2023. I only found out that the word penultimate meant second last about a year ago. <laughs>
2: So, wow! Well, yes. Yeah. Well, it's I. I often wonder
1: about penultimate. Hi, Carol, Hello, everybody. And you have a fur ball in your throat. I know. Do you I haven't. The cough? minute the minute I sat down, I was absolutely fine. Cory, Speaking of words. Speaking I'm, of penultimate, I am so happy to say that the word of twenty twenty three, which has horrified most people in Britain, I think it's the Oxford Dictionary or one of those dictionaries, is cosy lives. Mm. A term I have used a lot this year. You're a trendsetter. I'm I'm such a trendsetter, and people are horrified, but worse words have been the word of the year in the past. And isn't it amazing how often cosy Lives comes up with all of us now? Well, it does with you. Doesn't it with you? Don't you worry about the cost of living?
2: Oh, I I, I absolutely worry about it. Every day I paid my rent energy bill this morning. I think about it all the time. Uh, But, Caro, look... What can I say Particularly about cozy Christmas time? You picked it up I think from one of your children possibly her name is Clementine I'm not sure it sounds like a Clem kind of word. Yeah, it could have could
1: have your been. Your
2: family is always very on trend so I suspect that it's come from there rather than you, you you didn't invent it or anything.
1: It's a, it's a bit like Anna from the op shop who I who's coming in for our last special Christmas episode next week. Yes. Um with a lot of Christmas and summer tips which I'm really looking forward to, but um I know she and her family invented the word workshop to workshop something. Oh, that's ridiculous. They did. <laughs> They did. Anyway, that was back in the 70s or 80s. Corrie, it's great to see you. We're um, very happy to be here, as I said, for the penultimate time. We're going to do a few, we're going to do a bit of a wrap this episode, aren't we? We
2: are. The year that was, it's a bit of an annual thing now. And um, it really sends you and I back to our notes, our show notes and... And um well I can't I can't look at my list of books because as everybody has heard, ad nauseum, I lost my diary with my list of reading for twenty twenty three, so I can't remember a thing that I've read. But we'll we'll, um, be, looking at,
1: we'll be looking Thank at Thank heavens we're about to move on to the next one.
2: We'll be looking at books that we loved, we'll be looking at uh Carol in particular, we'll look at top footy stories, we're going to talk about the world's big news stories. I'm going to have a look at the Australian political stories of the year. It's a bit of a a mishmash of ideas, but it gives us something to talk about and something to reflect upon. So, And you have an amazing fact.
1: I do have an amazing fact. I've and I'm do, grumpy. I've also got a bit of feedback, Corrie, and I've been to see Napoleon, which I'm going to tell you about in BSF. Uh, this is from Anne Rakawa. Hello, Carol and Corrie. I have recently discovered your podcast and am thoroughly enjoying it. I have laughed, cried and been educated. Well, the last one is... I'm glad to hear. She's obviously listening to I'm me impressed. more than she's listening to you. Oh, thought I would share my purchasing mistake with you both, which I think will make you laugh. Have you have heard you both speak glowingly about L O Botanicals, so decided after a very stressful night shift a nurse I would purchase online. Parcel arrived, and despite my skin being happy, I couldn't understand how you both talk about the lovely fragrance. Was inwardly disagreeing with you, then discovered my big mistake. I had brought aloe a l o w e botanical, not l o. So what's aloe e Yes, is that's how the you one we love. That's our favourite. That's Claire and Rachel's skincare. lovely product. But what is
2: the other one? Do we know? Never
1: of? again will I purchase when half asleep. Can I please register? Blah blah blah. Look, it's wonderful for here to hear from you, Anne, and I'm really I'm sorry. just looking
2: up Aloe Botanical now. Aloe skin care. Oh, there's another skincare.
1: And I also I also Corrie wanted to thank she obviously didn't like the smell of I also those. want to thank the lovely podcaster who told us about the new series of Shetland, which I have also been enjoying.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we don't we no longer have Perez. He's no longer in the show. What's Tosh. the point? If there's no Jimmy, what's the point? Well, um, you know you know that um lovely actress who was in Act- English actor, who was in Afterlife and who was also in Agatha Raisin. Oh sh- yes. You know, she's she's, she's great. sort of come in as a hard bitten cop, but Shetland um born in Shetland, going back to Shetland for this episode this series and it's really, really Her name's good. Ashley Jensen. Is it? That's her name. I always get well done. I always get her name. Scottish on. actress. So, lots of great feedback, and we do enjoy your feedback. We are looking forward to seeing you all. Um, we had an event planned that we had to cancel, postpone, I should say, but what we are going to do is have an even bigger event for our 300th birthday, Corrie, and people can start buying tickets very soon. It is going to be held at Bell's Hotel on February 29, 5.30 for 6 o'clock. It is by way of a bit of a season launch for both us and the footy season. It's not our friend Jenny Smith's birthday, is it? Jenny must be turning about seven because she's a leap year child. It is. It's of course. It's a year. It's a date that only comes around every four years. You're absolutely right. Another reason to come along, everybody. Our special guest. We've got a couple of special guests. Uh, one of them is the Essendon coach and AFL Premiership hero Brad Scott. He is going to be with us on the panel, along with Anna from the Op Shop and a couple of our other favourites. We might even get Mike Sheehan to join us as well because he loves a footy launch.
2: Well, it is—it's uh, not only our 300th episode, Caro, as you said, but it's also the—it it, it will be the start of the AFL football season, which does seem to get earlier with each season. But uh, I think it's a great opportunity to have a bit of a chat about footy and meet all our friends. Please come, Bell's Hotel. Uh, if you've been there before, you know what a terrific venue it is. Very relaxed, very chilled. Have a glass of wine with Carol and I and our live podcast,
1: raffle tickets, prizes to win. Lots of fun and a drink, a snack. Uh, we've brought the ticket prices right down. Yes. And remember, I think the first 30 or 50 to register will win that beautiful ELLO Botanicals gift pack. Now, Corrie, let's kick off with a few lists. Twenty twenty three saw some, some massive news stories. Oh uh, um, well, if you've put Carol and Corey on this one, I didn't put my hand up for the world's biggest news stories. Well, I think I can guess where there, you're going. There'll be, with there'll, it.
2: Be, there'll be some prompts, I'm sure, um, and, and I think I've actually written down about seven, so we can share them. Carol, obviously the first, the, the biggest one because the the impact is ongoing and it really is a, a game changer in term uh, terms of geopolitics. Um, in 2023-2024 is the attack on Israel by Hamas on October 7 and then Israel's retaliation and its attacks on Gaza to flush out Hamas and the uh, terrible tragedy that is unfolding there as we speak. This this story has had, just looking at it, not in terms of just the the human catastrophe here, but just looking at it as a news story, it has had everything, hasn't it? And it's been one of those periods in history where I think social media has done um, good and bad. The bad being that there's been a lot of misinformation and a lot of lies from both sides and people getting their facts wrong. But the upside is that we have been up close and personal to some of the most terrific tragedies that we will ever see uh, on both sides. And, um and I think that's just a, a real cause for reflection at this time, and we just hope and pray that things um, resolve pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yes? No,
1: oh, look, I, I think that'll that'll be <clears throat> a massive. It, look, let's face it. Um, the situation in the Middle East and Palestine and this ongoing feud and, and what's going on in Gaza is something that's been building up for a very, very long time. It's been around for a long time, and I agree, it will continue. Who would have thought the um, Ukraine war would still be going?
2: Who would have thought that? And and, and, and bizarrely, mm. kind of taken a back seat to what's been happening in the Middle East. The other one, and this is in no particular order, but it just occurred to me this morning, Caro, so to... to Um, put a time on this podcast, it is a Tuesday and Northern Queensland is preparing for a hurricane, uh, a cyclone, sorry. Um, There is nothing unusual about Northern Queensland preparing for uh, a cyclone, but there there has been so much discussion about this summer and floods. We've already seen Adelaide as a wash this past weekend, Um, extreme heat, bushfires we've already had. Uh, and of course, this this um, the, the weather experts are now saying we're going to have increasing numbers of, of cyclones and bad weather up north. It is a reminder that we have uh, we have global warming. We have a climate change issue, and I think the the discussions about that, um, the the meeting the me- recent meeting of of countries in Dubai. Um, it's just a reminder that we're, that it is a big news story and it's ongoing. The other story I've put down is the coronation of King Charles III at the start, earlier this year. Um,
1: <clears throat> you either watched or you didn't. Well, I mean, it wasn't like a surprise. <laughs> we knew it was going to happen. See, I would say... <clears throat> but there was something... I think there was something about the
2: pageantry of it and the history of it, even down to the details of the different moments in the ceremony where particular things have to happen and they date back to the 10th and 11th century. These sorts of ties that bind and these traditions made it quite interesting for those of us who are not British and, dare I say, maybe amongst us some quote-unquote royal watchers. And... um, I I mean I watched it from woe to go. Did
1: you? Well, we were together on the same sofa. Oh, yeah, we were too. Oh, <laughs> oh we were? I forgot. Oh, isn't it funny? I was trying to think last night when I wrote that. Where was I? Cooked I cooked you dinner. I made the chicken sandwiches. We, we, we had were, Georgie, Button,
2: Lil aunts. and Mum.
1: We had my whole family oh, and you. It do you know a, I
2: couldn't remember where I was?
1: Well, Sorry. Could, it's okay. It's okay. Well, the only thing I would say is in terms of what people... I'll put that have, down to a busy pre-Christmas in, week. In terms of clickbait, I think the royal story that is, continues to just fascinate people is the ongoing sort of unmaking of um, Prince Harry and his bride, Meghan. I mean, I just think people can't get enough of... And, you know, you just know it just comes up on your feed day after day after day, and I just refuse to click on it now because I just know that, you know, they're tempting me with um, another non-story or story about Meghan and Harry and what's really going on there. But I think their lives in sort of exile, really, is quite fascinating, and I think that's what really interests people. I suppose the biggest local story, and in terms of one that's sort of really... People went, whoa, was um, the day Daniel Andrews announced he was stepping down.
2: Well, actually, I've, I have that in my list of political moments, but you're absolutely... Do you want, do you want to segue to those and then we'll do football? Sure. Oh, I just, I just let me mention a couple of other big world stories. Is there anything more interesting in terms of the number of facts and figures you're receiving about Taylor Swift's world
1: tour and Taylor Swift generally? Well, her relationship... <laughs> is the most in- interesting story at the moment, isn't it? Is he, is he coming over for the tour? I doubt it. Be I don't bit, It'll know. be a bit Who busy. Who knows? But it's just that I just find that incredible. But moving we'll have on to, to... We'll have to get our, our current producer, Joel, to check that out because I understand Joel might be um, zipping over to the Super Bowl. Is that right? Yeah, Joel's nodding. There
2: you go. He Lucky gets around, doesn't he? He does. He goes. He goes from listening to us talk about our skincare to um, to over there. It's That's, an ample reward for all a, the great work he's a fascinating done. Fascinating life Joel has. I didn't know where to put this one, Caro, uh, but for me it was world news anyway, and that was the success
1: of the Matildas, the women's soccer team this year. So I was. Um, well, that, I, well, that that changed. Um, that changed the way we watch sport, didn't it? It, it brought a new audience into Australian sport. It, that that semi final between England and Australia, more than seven million Australians were watching that. And when you say the AFL Grand Final rated really well this year, but that was under under four million. NRL Grand Final even less, also over three million but under four million. A semi final, it just extraordinary. And do you want to see, Do you want to know a direct
2: impact on our on on Australia and on little kids, Harriet? joined futsals, which is the soccer thing for little kids, and she's the only girl in the team. And no one cares. It's good. It's fine. It's great. But more girls are coming in, the coach told me the other day. So that's really interesting. Top five political stories, Cara. Obviously, the referendum on the voice to parliament, which was was defeated in October, that was an ongoing story. On the 18th of February, the Country Party, um, the Nationals, sorry, (laughs) came out um, to say that they were opposing the voice to Parliament. (coughs) Excuse me. That then opened the door for Peter Dutton, as leader of the Liberal Party, to say he was not in favour of it as well. And then it became, as we know, a bipartisan uh, or partisan, I should say, a partisan scrap, and um, it 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 has ongoing consequences. Another one um, I would uh, I would suggest also is the housing crisis, big story for. Uh, that Australia, not just the federal government, but governments around the country are having to face. um, The recent High Court decision um, about the practice of detaining asylum seekers and refugees in Australia, uh, that it's illegal, that meant that 80 people were released immediately into the community, including several sex offenders. And that has also had an impact and will continue to, I think, in the weeks over um, summer. Some of whom have
1: been swiftly rearrested. Yes, I'm glad a, to see. That's
2: good. Yeah, exactly right. And I think um, the retirement, as you said, of the of the two COVID premiers, Dan Andrews and Anastasia Palaszczuk. Which means they're
1: all gone now.
2: They've all, all gone. All the COVID
1: premiers. But you're right
2: about Dan Andrews. That was huge. That was out of the blue. It was interesting too. read comments by Jacinta Allen, the new premier, over the weekend saying she had absolutely no idea what was coming.
1: No, I think they all sort of found out that morning, although I think they probably suspected it would happen by the end of the year. But yeah, the timing was big. Grand final week, I was at the Carbine Club lunch when Eddie Maguire leapt up on stage and announced it to the room, broke the news like the town crier that he is. He is a town crier. The last one I'll just
2: add in there too, and again, this is ongoing, and in fact, I was caught up... in one of these protest marches the other day in the city, um, the events in Middle East have prompted many in our community, pro-Palestine, pro-Israeli, um, protesters to come out, um, marches of solidarity, um, and it's all part of free speech and protest marches have always been accepted in this city as something that is entirely appropriate. What is concerning is the rise of anti-Semitism, which um, many commentators... In our community, are saying is uh, is um, h- has ramped up, so I think that's really concerning,
1: and I don't
2: I don't like the tone of that one little bit. Um, no, you
1: really have to be careful what you say in any given situation.
2: Well, you do. And I think, Sem- also, yeah, and I just think we just have to remember um, that, that anti Semitism is something in, quite separate, actually, to what's happening in the Middle East. So we have to be very mindful. Um, Caro, on to the top footy stories.
1: Well, I've done a top 10 because you know I love a top 10. So I'll, I'll, I'll whip through them fairly quickly. Number 10, I think you have to say, is the implosion of Melbourne champion Clayton Oliver and all his issues this year, culminating with some real issues involving some really concerning off-field stuff at the end of the season, exacerbated by his teammate Joel Smith, who we found out at the end of the season tested positive to a band's substance in the last game of the year, last home and away game against Hawthorne. And of course Melbourne's overall implosion, both in the AFL and AFLW team, going out in straight sets in both those final series. Number nine, the appointment of the 33-year-old woman, Laura Kane, to the second most powerful position in footy. Now, I think that Andrew Dillon, the new CEO, was going for a couple of other people, but Laura ended up getting the job and it's done a pretty good Job made a good fist of it so far, but you would not have picked that a few years ago. Brodie Grundy, the very highly publicised trade to the Melbourne Football Club and the disaster that it became. Of course, he's gone now within a year and playing for Sydney. The sacking of Stuart Dew, um, something that um, Stuart Dew himself said was a, there was a witch hunt. It wasn't going to happen. The club denied it was going to happen. It happened a week later. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The Ben Keys non-goal for the Mm. Adelaide Crows, which um, should have been a goal. Um, The reverberations have continued. Adelaide Crows have got the most extraordinarily generous fixture next year. And don't think that their president, John Olsen, did not use and manoeuvre what happened to make sure Adelaide got a good deal. It, It probably, they might probably wouldn't have made the finals anyway, but it definitely put pay to their finals hope. So it was a disaster. Number five, the procrastination of Richard Gorda, the AFL chairman, in A, finding a replacement for Gillan McLaughlin, B, accepting Gillan McLaughlin was actually going to leave, and C, refilling his commission with any, someone, anyone who'd actually played an AFL game. He's finally done that. He finally appointed Andrew Dillon. It took about 18 months. I mean, the, the way it took so long for Richard Gorda to change, reshape his commission, took him three years. It was just a re- it was a real pity. It hurt the game in many, many ways. So, I mean, we saw things like, you know, th- I've talked about the Ben Keys non-goal, the lights going out at the Gabba. Those things aren't because there's no good footy people on the commission, but it just highlights the fact that the AFL had some real on-field issues.
2: And it also felt, Caro, too, the length of time it took to to fill the, the role. With, Do you think that was extraordinarily long and rather difficult for some of the people who'd put their hand up for the job.
1: Yeah, and well, Richard Goyder joked um, in South Australia that maybe Peter Milanowskis would make a great AFL CEO and it was pretty insulting given that four aspirants were sitting in the room when he said it and had put their lives on hold to go for the job. Look, um, I think Gillan McLaughlin announced he was resigning and then regretted it. And then to quote Richard Goyder, the Hawthorne stuff happened. And that was an excuse to keep Gillen going. And the clubs did want him to keep going to try and resolve that. It was never going to be resolved. As it turned out, even Gillen couldn't fix that really, Um, didn't really put a full stop on it. So no, that wasn't good. Anyway, number four was gather round. We knew it was coming last year, but no one could have Imagine what a wild success it was going to be. You had a blast. You had your party shoes on for the whole weekend. I'll book my tickets next year. And Brendan and the hotel. We're there. Look, it was. And then on the last day of Gather Round, Gillan McLaughlin, in one of his last acts, signed a deal with the Premier for another three years. So it's around till 2026. That's going to be huge. Number three, the implosion, I guess, along with many other things of Alistair Clarkson, four time Premiership coach went to North Melbourne, had to stand out of the game after the allegations from the First Nation families at Hawthorne, started coaching, had that sort of terrible sort of altercation, really verbal altercation with a female journalist, kept coaching for a few weeks, then completely fell apart emotionally, couldn't cope, had almost two months away from the game, something you would not have imagined, a coach of that, someone as tough as Alistair Clarkson to just find it. I mean, it was in a way a great admission that he could say that he was really hurting, but it was a massive, massive story and everything accompanied with it, the fallout with Hawthorne, the enmity with, you know, Jeff Kennert, everyone at the club at the time when he left, obviously his bad relationship with Sam Mitchell. Number two, um, the stunning resignation after losing by less than a goal in the Dreamtime game by Richmond coach Damien Hardwick, who was burnt out and time to go. A few months later, found the hunger again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wasn't even a few months, was it? It was about two or three. Oh, it was about three months. Yep. No, he look. He was always going to the Gold Coast. I thought, as we, as, as I think I said. But anyway, that was a big story when Tom Morris broke that story on SEN on that Monday night. We were just everyone went. She did not see that coming, and number one, Collingwood, the momentum built really from last year to for Craig McRae. You know that whole day to win. To win uh, the grand final, after winning three finals by 12 points, total of 12 points, you know, the father-son stories, both Nick and Josh Dacos, unbelievable. Peter Daycost to have one such amazing, but two brilliant sons, the other one winning the BNF this year, the performance of Darcy Moore, another great father-son, the speech he made on Anzac Day followed up by the speech on grand final day. The coach himself to announce he'd just given birth to a baby. His wife had given birth that morning to a baby girl, Maggie. To little Maggie. I mean, it it, it was just, it was one of the most romantic. People started barracking for Collingwood who didn't previously even, couldn't even utter the words Collingwood. So um, that was, I think, by far the biggest footy story of the year. There you are. I
2: agree. I think absolutely. And I I like your order. I'm not sure I'd put Damien Hardwick second, but look, you're a tiger. Well I think the, the, that impact, that you have that. the
1: impact on the day it happened. Oh no, I understand that. It, I, I would have put the Melbourne
2: I would have put the Melbourne Football Club Issue because there have been a lot of issues this year. This year, I would have put that whole thing. And when you said basket, bit of a basket case, is that what you said? I think that was no,
1: your, no, you I, no, 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 th- no, I didn't say that. I, I think that you know, I mean, there were some big stories that I've left out that the Braden Maynard clash on um, Angus Braidshaw and the Alir Alir concussion, too, they were just absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Joel's holding up Tasmania, but that sort of really happened last year. They announced this year that they were going to go ahead with the stadium and it was all going to happen and the licence was granted. You're right, Joel. But I think in terms of a big issue, I think that, um, I thought I thought my ten were better. I
2: <laughs> I think it's bigger. nice having Joel's. I, I do agree that T- Tassie was because it, then there was all the political
1: fracas and fallout about the ground oh, and the funding and it was a good story. Oh, it's huge and, and Tassie's in, in my apologies. earlier earlier as I said, um, the West Coast implosion and that upset um, against Joel's team, the Western Bulldogs, putting them out of the final and the Bulldogs' issues. I mean, there are a lot of stories around, but um, Carlton's resurgence, Tasmania. But anyway, it's a subjective it was, game, isn't it? was a it? great
2: season and I loved seeing Collingwood. Uh, it was, it, as you said, it was just a, it was
1: just a fairy tale. And, Corrie, the reason I don't mention um, the death of Ron Barassi is because he is in our next list, I suppose our list of famous valets. Let's and, move to that, Caro. So I think Ron Barassi is probably the biggest name in football, don't you? Mm. And we've known for some time that he hasn't been well, but to think he's actually no longer with us is, yeah, it's very, very sad.
2: It is. It really is sad. And um, I, uh, I you, like you, we've grown up, completely grown up with Ron Barassi as a, as a playing coach, a captain coach, and then as a coach and then as
1: a, as an icon and ambassador for the game. And, um, well, the 1970 Grand Final changed football forever. Then he went to North Melbourne and coached them to their first ever AFL-VFL Premiership.
2: But also remember when he was in Sydney, yep. uh, he, was, he was doing such a great job cementing the reputation of the game generally, not just the club, but the game up there. I, well, I felt very sad, and I also felt very sad when Barry Humphreys died, Caro. It seems like only... A year ago was probably ten because I was still working at the Australian. But I did an interview with Barry. He was selling some artwork. He's a painter. He was a painter, and Barry had done a little exhibition of his work. And um, we had a lovely time. And it was a it was a cute little picture story. It wasn't anything involved, but we had a couple of hours together, and they will remain forever uh, in my fond memories. And he used to come into the bookshop too. And uh, Galloway Young Pingu died, which was. Um, Incredibly sad and enormous advocate for his First Nations people. And uh, maybe a little more controversial was the death of George
1: Pell in January. Yes, and um well, definitely controversial. if If you're mentioning the arts world, um I have to throw in Tina Turner. Yes. I mean, that was just—I uh, I had no idea she was unwell. She died in Switzerland. And looking back over her extraordinary career, what—and you know—and we talked about—you know—she was one of several famous women who emerged from the shadow of an abusive partner, and what she became, and what she did, what she did for the NRL in Australia was just one very small part of her story. But musicals will continue.
2: And, and wasn't it interesting when we were talking about that after her death, the week of her death? the impact that it had if you kept watching social media that week in the next couple of weeks, how many young women in particular were so deeply affected. It was really incredible. Um Simon Crean, when Simon Crean died suddenly uh, this year, I felt um I felt a real loss, a loss of somebody who had gone far too quickly and too suddenly. But also um Simon Crean was such a a, a good, honourable politician, I yeah, think. Yeah he was. Who perhaps because because events didn't work his way, and maybe because he wasn't a, a background brawler like some of them are in the Labor Party, but he he um, never quite achieved the you know the high office that he, perhaps he should have. And the other one that recently really affected me, mainly because I've just been listening to so many um, podcasts and, and news stories related to his history, is Henry Kissinger.
1: And you well, you've been to see the Golden Mayeur movie too. Yes,
2: Yeah. So that was that was quite interesting. But showbiz, I mean, Renee Gaia, Matthew Perry from Friends, Shane
1: McGowan from the Pogues, one of my yeah. absolute favorites. Brian
2: Walsh, the the well known TV uh, executive from Foxtel. Yeah. Cal, Cal Wilson, tragically brilliant comedian. Love Cal Wilson, died of cancer, and I didn't realise this, Caro, until I was looking this up. Um, Bubbles Fisher died this year. Remember Diana Fisher from yes, the Inventors? I do. Did you Did you know that she
1: died? No, I did not.
2: Oh, well, they're just some of the many um, wonderful Australians and international identities that we've lost this year.
1: Now, you, you've put down podcast chats we have loved. Now, despite the fact I do two podcasts, one with you and one with the Age Footy team. Oh dear. I don't really listen to many I, podcasts, but I have become addicted to the rest is history. No,
2: Well, I'm glad you have. And, and can, oh. you, can I please note for everybody, the seven-part series on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which has just completed. It I've just finished it. Unbelievable, yep. isn't it? Brilliant. Yep. How about the first episode? I love that. No, five podcast chaps, we have love Carol. I just wrote those down because of things that you and I have talked about over the past year.
1: I do, do listen you, to the sounding board, I must say. Do you know we have... Oh, so, <laughs> the Sounding Board's a good is that podcast. because here? No, no, I, I do listen to it just because, well, just occasionally, yeah, occasionally I listen to it. I do occasionally I found too. myself shouting at it occasionally, but yeah, <laughs> so I suppose so, that's a good thing.
2: So um, in January, you and I celebrated our 250th episode, so that was a little milestone moment where we also talked about highlights over the 250, but uh, I think there were two interviews that we did this year, interestingly, both with blokes who were in the sporting sphere, Oh no! Sorry, one one isn't, there, but they're both both in the journalism sphere. Nick Mackenzie. While I was away, you interviewed Nick, and that episode went off. Um, Nick talking about his new book, and that was a great interview. And um, and the other one we did earlier was Tom Morris. The Tom Morris interview we did in March, when Tom was stood down. After some inappropriate texting, well, no, um, he was.
1: We interviewed him when he was about to be resurrected. In fact, yes, we did. Yep. That's right. A did. year after, he that's was... right.
2: We did. That's <coughs> right. Yes, the, the the unfortunate texting incident happened a year ago. You're right. He was coming back on board, and um, so we had a we had a full and frank conversation with him. Um, some of the titles I I didn't want to go through all of our episodes last night because I would have been here for you know they're forever but i just picked up some of the titles and in fact i think joel um as our new person in the producer's chair might have had something to do with one or two of these. Um, do you remember the episode titled, You Left Me in the
1: Gelato Queue"? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that We're referring to Florence, I think, weren't we? Mm. That's right. Did you enjoy that one? <laughs> we, we went and, and we all had to go off and see
2: new shops and new galleries and you were left in the gelato queue and we said farewell. And we I quite, had a plan <laughs> to
1: catch, but not before I finally got to taste the gelati that we had been told was the best in the world.
2: Um, another one was, How Gray Are You? Goodness knows talking about hair dye. Um, another one, of course he knows who Topsy is, and I couldn't work out what that was about. and it was um it was in relation to it was we were talking about culturally inappropriate books that we had grown up with. and um, the topsy reference came up because I had asked Barry Jones where did the saying come from.
1: Where did the saying come from?
2: Yeah, so so the saying to grow like Topsy, which I use quite a lot because my mum used to use it, and I rang up Barry Jones and I got a full dissertation on where Topsy came from. So that was in that particular episode. There's another one: no tiaras, no long frocks, coronations aren't what they used to be.
1: Was that your mum? Yes, probably, <laughs> probably. But I mean, the, well, there were there were tiaras, weren't there? No, I think that there was a few things about that coronation that was, you, it it was a. A, a real throwback in many ways, wasn't it? I think I probably, in terms of the pomp and ceremony, probably enjoyed as an event the Queen's funeral. That sounds really bad because it was <laughs> I sort enjoyed of a death. It. It well, a I mean, death. obviously it was oh, but, terribly But it was interesting sad, to but...
2: watch. You're absolutely right. And then finally, um, the other day when we were talking about uh, my granddaughter, Harriet, being the 15th narrator in a series of 20 narrators for the Nativity play, you said... Life's about being a tree sometimes. <laughs>
1: well, you Just know, in you, case you didn't get to play well, Mary,
2: you were the tree up the back.
1: Yes, there's no such thing. It, it's like when one of my children became the class leader. So I went to the ceremony and there was 20 kids and everyone <laughs> had some form of leadership position. I was like, I oh, could have just gone out for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. I enjoyed watching I Don't become... think they
2: didn't note it. Oh, let's, uh, let's get Miles in on the cocktail cabinet. Uh, and um, this week we're going to be talking about local sparkling celebration wines.
0: Search princewinestore.com.au, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world.
1: And now it's time for the cocktail cabinet, Corrie. As you said, after all those lists and Miles Thompson... It's a very small list for us from Prince Wine Store. And we're talking local sparkling, which I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing about this, Myles.
3: Tight Well, I did lo- I did Australian. It's as local as it gets. Yeah, Australian. <laughs> Aussie. We just sparkling
1: as opposed
2: to yeah. champagne.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, two great value sparklings. Uh, the, I'll start with the first one because it's probably, I guess, the more straightforward Emmeline spark, uh, Pinot Sparkling Rosé. It's a lovely blush kind of colour. I think perfect for this time of year. Um, just the, that really sort of soft plush sort of pinot fruits, Adelaide Hills. Um, just, yeah, it's got that little sort of pink color on it, just as, and it's not like super in that, in that sort of like, it's not like a sparkling Shiraz or anything like that. It's just got that beautiful little kind of hint of red fruits, really fresh and that really kind of like plush, moorish kind of mid palette that you get with sort of Pinot based sparklings. Emmeline,
1: I, what a lovely, I lovely name. Soft, I yeah, never Emmeline, heard it's of really Emmeline. beautiful. Have you heard not, of Emmeline?
3: No, I haven't. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful label, really cool kind of. It looks like a kind of like hibiscus kind of stylized drawing. On Anyway, it looks really cool. We tried it a couple of months ago. And just thought it was fantastic and, and floor stacked in the front because it's such good value. So $30. And it's kind of a great all-rounder because, you know, I think those pinot-based sparklings in particular kind of go with a lot of different foods. So if you're kind of having it with something, chickens or roast stuff or or seafood, I think it's a really nice sort of mix. But it's easy and soft and kind of this lovely generous kind of palate on it. So easy to have on its own as well. So
1: That sounds delicious. A nice
3: place to start. And for Christmas too, if you're going to have it with turkey or ham or something like that, it would be really nice.
1: So tell me again where I visit the Emmeline Vineyard. or So
3: a- Adelaide Hills.
1: And what about the you next You can go one? there when you go and gather around, Caro. I'll be, I'll be there. In yeah. fact, there's a, there's a game in the Adelaide Hills at Mount Barker. Oh, cool. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah, Mount Barker's got some cool stuff going on there. It does. And what about the other one, Miles?
3: Yeah, so the other one, you know, I like to throw in a little curveball here and there. So it's the Willie Smith's Heritage Blend Cider. Now, I have been a very big cider at Christmas. I know we're not talking about Christmas quite, but at this time of year when it's hot, I love cider. And I think also on Christmas Day I'm a bit of a fan with a really nice crisp apple cider. Now, this is cider done more like a traditional method, so it's it's in the bottle, and 750ml bottles as well. So um, wow. they do a couple of... So the Willie Smiths really sort of, you know, all the all the ciders... This is a general Willie, comment, as please. opposed
2: to Will Smith. The actor, not
3: Will Smith. It's not, no, we don't talk about Will Smith.
1: <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> it's certainly not local. Apart He's from not anything local. else,
3: <laughs> Tasmania. Yeah. So obviously, cider country, or certainly apple, apple country. Um, and this is their heritage blend. So I think it's about twelve or fifteen different cider apples. And Willie Smith really sort of, you know, before that there was like Balmers and things like that, which are which are solid ciders, but Willie Smith really sort of took that, that French kind of Normandy style cider and brought it to Australia. And they really are one of the best and still are. And they do a selection of about four or five different blends. So a heritage blend, French blend, I think they do one called Kingston Black which is really fantastic. And I think there's something else in there as well. But I always like the heritage blend. It's just like all that, all those different apples. It gives you all the different textures and flavours and quite crunchy dry cider as well. So a dry sort of style. It's not, not super, super sweet. So but it, these are fantastic.
1: So can you drink it like a champagne as, you know, Joanna Lumley sort of implied on oh, I don't know if you were watching the reruns of Joanna Lumley's Britain, but she's in Cornwall last week and eating, drinking apple cider from Wonderful Apples. She said, I'd rather have this than any champagne. And I thought, oh, come on, Joanna, what happened to your Bolly days? But is yeah, it, I don't know about Yeah, maybe not.
3: I think it's, you know, I think it's one of those things, right place, right time. It's pretty spectacular.
1: I think Miles is right. On a hot
2: day, a really hot day, sometimes you just don't feel like a a, a big champagne.
3: Yeah, and champagne can want be something a bit
2: lighter, don't you?
3: Yeah, because
2: champagne can be a some bit of those French on ones they can be full on exactly.
3: and really acidic, mm. you know, which is typical for champagne. And like I was said before, I, I have I love cider, particularly on Christmas Day in the afternoon. You know, it's such a nice it's little pick Cara, me up. It's Cara bubbly. Was her it's nana
2: nap she revealed last week. Well, there you oh, go. Okay. After, you, after you
3: get up from your nap. Well, Have a I'm, little little glass of, you know, it's a little bit sweet. It's a little, a little, little bit, bit of a bubbly. It gives you a nice little vibe. bit like a cleansing ale. Yeah, but yeah. and it's not too serious. Like you said, it's champagne. It's not too serious, mm. you know. It's not like you've got to be like, oh, mm. it's champagne and we've got to, it's just like, no, just knock it back and enjoy it. Well, so no. I'm, I'm it, a huge, huge fan. And
1: it's a good price too, $30. And $30 bucks as well, Both yeah. they 30 they're Great. Well, that's wonderful, Miles. Thank you for those two sparkling recommendations. We look forward to seeing you for our Christmas special. I'm sure you've got a couple of great recommendations there too. Absolutely. So we've got Willie Smith's Heritage Blend, that's Sociedad, 2023, $30. You will get a 10% discount. And Emmeline's Pinot Noir Sparkling Rosé 2022, also $30. Mm-hmm. Powered by Snowy
0: Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. BSF, book, screen, food.
1: Corey, it is time. Thanks to Red Energy for 100% Australian electricity and gas for BSF. And you have the five best books you've read this year.
2: Ah, oh, exactly, Carol. I was going to talk about the novel I've just finished, but I'm going to save that because... We're on a list mission today, so I thought the five best books I've read this year. I have to stress there hasn't been a lot of fiction happening in my life, but here we go. In no particular order, I stress. At the start of the year, I was introduced to Lessons by Ian McEwan, which came out this time last year. I was a bit slow to the party, but I adored it, it. adored it, adored it. Tom Lake by Anne Patchett. Um, gave me oh. so much solace and warmth in the middle of the year. It, it's a book that is. It goes back and forth in time uh, and the contemporary setting is the, the period of lockdown and COVID and a family coming together, um, all um, bunkering down together in their apple farm. Um, Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano, a really good um, American romance novel involving a group of sisters. A non fiction book, Crossing the Line, by Nick McKenzie, who we mentioned earlier. I think Crossing the Line is one of the finest journalism books um, going around. I think the mix of Nick talking about the court case of Ben Robert Smith, uh, sorry, Nick talking about the court case of Ben Robert Smith. And he's weaving in and out of his own responses and the legal team's responses and colleagues such as Chris Masters and other people who worked on the story is just a profoundly important observation of journalism shining light in dark corners. And then the final one on the list is A Beautiful Life by Rochelle Unreich, which is the true story of Rochelle's mother, who was a Holocaust survivor, had spent time in Auschwitz and other camps and migrated to Australia as a refugee, as a young woman, and always managed to see the light and the hope in other people and joy in other people. And I'll just make a special mention, Caro, to, to Yellow Face by Rebecca Quan. Yellow Face is a contemporary novel, and it's very much about the sinister side of Instagram and TikTok. And um, I thought it was a terrific book, but it just didn't make my top five.
1: Oh, well, that's a pretty good top five. I don't agree with all of them, but... Um, what I mean, would you,
2: What would you say was your best book of the
1: year? Demon Copperhead.
2: Oh, yes. I absolutely love
1: Demon Copperhead. I was disappointed it didn't finish in the Brownlow top three at our book club. Yeah,
2: it, what, what one? Which one was it? Was it Lessons in Chemistry? Lessons in Chemistry. Everybody was
1: a year late with that one, yeah. Well... Because well, it
2: was a book that came
1: out last year. Well, yes, but book club's different. Like We yeah. just we do books. It doesn't have to be out this year. But anyway, that, that, is, that was a great book. I love The Romantics by William Boyd because I love anything by William Boyd, even though it's not his best. Um, and I just adored Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is probably my second best book mm, of the year. You reviewed that
2: last week, if potties have missed that. It was a great yes, review.
1: Yes, a really, really good book. So, yeah, no, look, um, it's been um, – it's been – well, I, I read voraciously while while we were away, and over last summer, I'm just getting back into reading now. So, um, but no, Corrie, very good list. I still just think Tom Lake isn't one of Anne Patchett's best. It was good, not great.
2: Oh, well, yeah, I, I loved it. I went into the whole, I think.
1: Well, as I said at the time, I don't have a sister. So
2: I loved the whole sister thing. I found that really fascinating.
1: The other author you introduced me to when we did a book club, who also finished in our top three, was Claire Keegan. Mm. Um, small Things Like These and Foster are the two um, that I'd read. Um, Foster, that, that wonderful movie, The Quiet Girl, is based on Foster. But um, I've, in fact, I've got your Small Things Like These to return. But um, she's Beautiful a great yeah, yeah, she's, she's a great author. And I've just bought her a new little one too. Now, Corey, it was with great um, trepidation the other day that I took myself off to the cinema to see Napoleon. Off by yourself again, Kaz? No, no. Went with Brendan mm-hmm. and another couple. We mm-hmm. um, it was a rainy Saturday afternoon. It was a good day to go to the movies, and I really enjoyed it. Did it, you? It's not a classic. It's not. It shouldn't figure in the Oscars. Um, Wakem Phoenix is very good as Napoleon, although there are some almost Monty Python-esque moments, as my husband pointed out, and I think he was right. Um, Such as? Oh, the scene when he returns from Elba and arrives back on French shores. I think he arrives at Antibes or somewhere in the south of France and kisses the sand, and then an army, part of the French army, come to sort of arrest him. And he sort of convinces them to come onto his side. And one of them just goes, oh, General or something like that. And you go, oh my heavens, this is, and in fact, one of the reviews, up, Brendan goes, that's like a scene out of Monty Python. But, um, cause what I hadn't realized was when um, he went to Waterloo and this film is very much, the film is very much about his famous battles. And Ridley Scott is obviously someone who, that, that's his thing, you know, big battles. And he does them brilliantly. Um, the, at Waterloo, he was actually fighting against the French with his own rebel force. Um, I think Louis XVIII had joined the, you know, was the other French army, had joined with the British and all these other European, I think the Russians were in there too. There was a lot of them against him. So he really had no hope. It was folly. It was absolute folly. Um, look, it's um, it's not too long. I'd read it was very, very long. It's probably two and a half hours. Um, Does there, it have
2: the same sort of feel as Gladiator?
1: No, no. It, I mean, Gladiator was a brilliant film. Well, it
2: was, and I thought Ridley Scott uh, really got into the psyche of the uh, Russell Crowe
1: character, yes, and, and also a it welcome Phoenix
2: as well as, as the young emperor, as the evil emperor. Yeah, and and um, and and it was very much a story of of two men. Um, one who was naturally charismatic and brilliant, and the other who was always overlooked and felt inferior, and um his his lifetime objective to wipe the gladiator out, and that was all very intense and brooding. And I imagined when weirdly Scott took on Napoleon that we were going to see a same kind of internal
1: demons
2: sort of thing happening.
1: I think we probably, and i've and I've listened to a few reviews and podcasts and Stuff about the Napoleon film, and, and I'm and I, I actually, the rest of his history guys had done something about it, been listening to some stuff about that too. I, th- it was a quite a long period of his life, um, probably the second, the middle third, and the last third of his life. It opens with him at the execution of Marie Antoinette, which he never actually was there. And Marie Antoinette famously had her head shaved, and it wasn't shaved in the film. One of several historical, were the women knitting? Well, they were all hurling abuse at her and, and and what I remember from my French revolutionary study was that when she was finally beheaded and led out to the guillotine, she had shaved her head and, and everyone was silenced and quite stunned by this show of defiance and, and almost awestruck by her. And it wasn't really like that in any way. But look... Obviously, these films are going to have historical inaccuracies. The battle scenes were amazing. The other, the big, the big other thing about um, the other main aspect of the film is about his relationship with Josephine, which is, I mean, it's pretty um, tawdry a lot of it, and pretty tragic, and very um, tempestuous. Even has a sort of a bit of a basic instinct moment as well, well, which is, yeah, look in the crinolines. She is played by Vanessa Kirby, who was a great actor. She played Princess Margaret in the early episodes of The Crown. Um, She's obviously, Josephine was a bit older than Napoleon, and that's sort of, you get away with that. She's um, recently released from prison. Her husband has been beheaded. When you were a woman in prison in those days, during that reign of terror, the only way you could survive really was by getting pregnant. So I think there was a fair bit of shagging in prison. And there's sort of there's an allusion to sort of things that Josephine could do, a bit like the Duchess of Windsor, I don't really know what it was. We were sort of discussing it after. they don't really make it clear. Um Rupert, Everett I have emerges. read I have
2: read exactly what the Duchess of Windsor could do with her. Uh, oh, well, bits and pieces.
1: Okay. Rupert Everett emerges late in the film, overacts as what? appallingly as the Duke of Wellington, but oh, he's oh lordy, but it, but he sort of adds a bit of um, light relief to it all. Look, it's is there much about Josephine's roses? There's about the beautiful when she was mm. when she was forced Souvenir to divorce. We go to Malmaison a lot. Um, we go to where he lived a lot, and a lot of brooding down by the lake, and when Napoleon finally when his next wife gives birth to an heir, you know, the heir is taken to for Josephine to have a look at. The, the implication is that it was just one of the great love affairs, but very shambolic as well. So they're the two elements, not much about what he did internally in France as a leader and the reform he actually led. Um, he was, really comes across as a bit of a warmongering, um, you know, uh, Bit of a sort of Lothario, who was completely obsessed with Josephine. Mm. But, look, the performances are great. It's beautifully shot. The cinematography is extraordinary. It's not the best film ever. I would have liked more to get within the psyche of Napoleon. I don't think he really succeeded in doing that. Mm. But I'd go and see it. It's good, not great. Much oh. preferred Oppenheimer and Barbie for the other big three <laughs> films of the year. Now, Corrie... While we're talking about biographical films, take that, Napoleon... <laughs>
2: Barbie. Um, Food. Okay. And Caro, I just want to say thank you to the lovely Shan Armstrong, forever to be known now as Mrs Cobram, Um, although I'm sure there is a real Mrs Cobram. But um, Shan is the education manager at Cobram Estate Olives Limited. And she joined us last week with the lime salmon, avocado and mango, mango salsa recipe, which was delicious. If you missed last week's show... Have a look on the show notes. It's really a terrific recipe that Sean brought in. You
1: have a recipe while we're on a seafood diet. This is um, our friend Chris Keel's prawn bisque. It is so delicious. It's really, really fabulous. It's probably, on a hot day, it's probably not what you need. But I don't know. I think that you can never not be really feeling like a prawn bisque. Chris is one of those people um, who'll come round to your house and, Someone, my brother will say, oh, Kilo's bringing sausages, but in fact he brought a prawn bisque, which didn't really go with the rest of the meal, but we scoffed it down anyway. It was absolutely beautiful. Now, this involves um, uncooked whole prawns, 750 grams. Olive oil, of course, made and directed and supplied by Cobram Estate. Chris uses um, the Cobram Estate light olive oil. the The classic one would work just as well but the green one I think he used. One or two carrots, roughly chopped, three celery sticks, one large red onion, bay leaves, um, dried mixed herbs or a small bunch of fresh herbs. I think he tied up sage, thyme, oregano and rosemary, but you don't need all of them. Lots of tomato paste, up to 400 grams. Plain flour, brandy. Brandy. So what he actually does, he peels and cleans the prawns. So this might sound like a lot of work, but it is you end up with the most fabulous fish stock. Retain the shells and the heads for the stock. Heat two tablespoons of Cobram Estate olive oil. In a reasonable-sized saucepan, moderate heat, add the prawn shells and the heads. Mix over heat with a wooden spoon. This is a big moment. You don't... Make sure they don't burn. Just stir to cook them until they turn that lovely orangey colour that prawn shells do. And that is when you liberally splash in the brandy to flambe the shells. You light, oh, okay. you light
2: it up. Oh, You light it up. Push
1: up, it goes along anyway, with your hair. The recipe is going to be in the there show. There was a notes. song
2: called Brandy. Was that Barry Manilow? Yeah, it's going
1: round in my head now. Well, I think he, I think originally it was old Brandy, but Barry Manilow changed it to Mandy. <laughs> it was Brandy initially, but I sent you away. Boy, I need you today. Anyway, look—it's sort of compl- the, the whole point is you're making this beautiful stock. You've st- you once you've flambéed it, you keep drinking in- the brandy on the side. Well, Mandy, you are- no, you're not actually drinking the brandy. on the side. His wife's name is side. Mandy. That's right. That's right. Um, but once you've flambéed it, you return to the moderate heat. Moderate heat. Then you stir in all the chopped veggies. And then you remove it all from the heat. Then you stir in tomato paste. You cover the vegetables in the shells. Then there's pepper, salt, chilli flakes. Then you throw in some flour. And then it's a dry, claggy sort of appearance. Then you return to the low, moderate heat. And you add about a cup of white wine and the fish stock, which the fish stock is separate. You can either make that or just buy it. But the white wine is probably what you're going to be slugging on or sipping on (laughs) as you're cooking. As well as
2: the brandy. By this stage, you're, you're adding parsley
1: cubes parsley stalks, mixed herbs, vegetable or fish stock cube as well, just to make it even richer. It's a very rich, beautiful, and then dip. the colour would be that lovely orangey. Yes, it like is. A pale it red. is, and yeah, you leave delicious. it to reduce over lowish heat. Um, after about 20 minutes, the mixture um, it, it looks uninviting at this point. Chris is saying it's a real leap of faith. You add more wine stock, salt, pepper, water, tomato paste if you think you need it. And then after an hour, you remove it from the heat and you add another tablespoon of Cobram olive oil and butter to another large saucepan. That is when um, you're cooking up the prawns that you will throw into the bisque, which you will later strain. Now, this is going to be on the show notes. It might take a while, but it was one of the more beautiful meals I have ever eaten. And crusty bread. Did he bring crusty Crusty bread bread. as well? I love it when somebody says, I'll bring this, I'll bring the... The prawn br- bisque. I'll, I'll bring the saucies, um, and they walk in with that. There's, there's, um, you can add. Look, he seems to keep adding a lot of brandy, brandy. but, but at one point there's a straining situation. At another point there's you know, the flambé, the straining, a lot of stirring, and then the separate cooking of the prawns themselves, which you add chopped up to the bisque. This is the most beautiful dish. It's going to be on the show notes and I can highly recommend it. So thank you to Cobram Estate for your wonderful olive oil that contributes to this recipe. And thank you, Chris Keel. That was BSF. Corrie, um, you, how you can be grumpy on this happy day leading up to the festive season, I don't know. But you've found something to be grumpy about. Well... I do have a grumpy, it's about Alan Joyce, not a transport issue, it's about Alan
2: Joyce, but I just want to say that I'm really pissed off with the ABC for announcing that it's going to put the drum to bed for good. The drum, as of this Friday, will be no more. I love the drum between 6 and 7pm on a weeknight. I find it almost compulsory viewing if I'm home. I love the new voices, the people I've never met before. I love seeing the older public intellectuals and former politicians and academics. It's just a great show. So bad decision, ABC. Caro, I'm furious with Alan Joyce because while his theatre company is in crisis... Oh, this is a double grumpy. I'm doubly grumpy. Alan Joyce, as you probably know, is the chair of the Sydney Theatre Company, which you talked about a couple of weeks ago in relation to a couple of actors having a quiet um, protest moment. Three actors in three, Three, three actors. No, it wasn't all that quiet either. <laughs> Alan Joyce has been nowhere to be seen. He is the chair. He has taken extended leave, he says, uh, following his sudden departure from Qantas or semi-sudden. Um, And uh, never before, said the age, has the company needed a bigger dose of decisive and experienced leadership. Here, here, can I tell you as somebody who rather sadly actually retired from my arts board last week, the Wheeler Centre Board, and all the wonderful friends and gang that I've made there over the many years I've been there. um, When your arts organisation is in strife, it's not like a big corporation where there are lots of People, lots of safety nets, and dare I say, lots of dollars to help you get out of trouble or manage a situation. This is when board members have to come to the fore. At the Wheeler Centre, we we're an event-based organisation. We went through lockdown when there were no events and yet we managed to survive. I mean, this is when boards have to do the hard yards and Alan Joyce is on extended leave. and Johnson is the acting chair, I understand, um, but I just, I just find it extraordinary that he is nowhere to be seen at this time. Alan, get home. Get home, Alan. Face your responsibilities. You can't just... Be a chair and wander in and out of opening nights and put on your black tuxedo and have
1: fun and shake the king's hand? Uh, Look, Annie Annie Johnson will be um, a fabulous acting chair. She might end up being the chair. I'm not sure. I'm sure. But where's Alan? Well, we know where he is. He's running away from his responsibilities and people are still so angry about all those bonuses that I think he's got a sick mother in Ireland. That's where he's ostensibly. That's the, the reason he's away. But yeah, anyway, that's
2: that's that. So that's Grumpy. So let's go on to six quick questions. And do you want to kick it off?
1: Corrie. For Red Energy, I should say. Which new habit did you adopt in 2023 and you remain surprised and. Gee, listen to you, tickets on yourself. Which new habit did you adopt in 2023 and you remain surprised and impressed by your own dedication? Listen, Toots, (laughs) if you want to do the show notes at 11 o'clock at night,
2: be my guest. (laughs) although thanks for the coffee. Um, Which new habit? Wordle. Now, I know it's been going for a while, everybody. Don't jump down my throat and everything. But one of my quiet um, New Year's resolutions this year was to take on board what my darling mother said when she was about my age. You have to do the crosswords in order for your brain to keep working. Crosswords or bridge, Corrie. And in my case, I took up Um, code words as you know with a vengeance but I think there is something to be said in that advice I don't play bridge so I can't comment on that um, and one could argue today I've
1: made a few slips and memory's gone. And maybe it's not working,
2: but there is something. Oh, I got it
1: in three. To, I got there it in is, three today. Four days in a row, I've got it in three.
2: I've had two days in a row where I've got it in two. Anyway, oh, that's I mean, good. I, look, I'm not into the competitions. I know there are people who have WhatsApp groups and they compete and all that. I'm not really interested in that. I do like it when I've had a stretch of of wins. But then you'll get a day where you forget, so I don't get too I upset hate about I hate that.
1: I was up to, I, w- I got up to 121, and then I lost a day in travel or something, and um, yeah. My overseas experience. I'm back to 35 now. What do you want?
2: Uh, oh no, I'm only sort of six or seven because I'll just I'll have a date where the time goes because I do it at night time, you see, and I do oh, it.
1: Oh, I do it the first thing. Yeah, when I wake and I up. should
2: I should change the time zone because of course it clicks over and then you lose. You suddenly realise you've lost the day. The other thing that concerns me slightly about Wordle is I go through my New York Times WhatsApp and of course the world news pops up first on your feed and it does feel incredibly superficial when you see scenes of. Um, Gaza, and then you click on to the games section and you play your wordle. There's something not quite right with that, but anyway, that's my only way that, that I get no, into it's it. It's like
1: Ian McEwen in that book Saturday. You know, he sort of makes you realise that it's as, you can only cope with
2: the so world much. around
1: you. The certain small parameters that you you have to surround yourself in, because if you thought too big and worried too much, you would you just would not be happy ever.
2: Well, it's it, there's something in that, and. I mean, Lord knows, there's enough CNN action happening in our place all the time, really. So, but anyway, there's no excuse. But look, I'm just addicted to it all. Um, Caro, what story most horrified you? Is it this week or last week? Or oh
1: no, just just this week. And um, this might sound again pretty trivial in light of um, what's happening at Gaza, but the C- Kate McClymont revelations about Alan Jones. Which you know, I, I know Alan Jones is denying and um, threatening legal action, and I don't, I don't pretend to know what's happened. I do know that Kate McClymond and Nine Media, Sydney Morning Herald, and the Age would not have published these stories without a thorough investigation, because they are so careful, even more careful these days than ever before. Um, there was one story in particular involving. Um, a boy under the age of 18. Again, I'm not making any judgment about, but, but it seems to have been fairly well researched. Um, a family that Alan Jones was helping and what happened to this boy. Just to think that there were, I think there were six men who've come forward with allegations against Alan Jones, who was such a massive public figure. And I've been a massive critic of some of his treatment of Julia Gillard, his treatment of Adam Goods, just to name two, were just so disgusting. I cannot understand why he remained such a revered figure, particularly in New South Wales, for as long as he did. And if these stories are true, to think that um, people must have known about them and not done anything just um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying there was some. Um, I'm not saying there was anything relating to what we're seeing on an international scale, like murder and things like that. But just insidious stories about an abuse of power that was pretty horrifying. Cory, what made you feel old yesterday?
2: My brother, Steve, turned 70. Now, wow. Can I just say, he's a lot older than me. He's actually eight years older than me. Happy birthday, Steve. But um, it did remind me of that time, you'll remember this, when um, there was a, I was um, single at the time and there was an older age colleague Um a bit of a well-known roué around the office at the age, who said, "Oh, let's go and have lunch." So I didn't really think there was anything sinister in it. I was starving, and we were both walking up to the up the street together. Anyway, he ordered a glass of wine, which I thought, mm, you know, that sort of lunch. And um, so, as he sort of lowered his voice and took took a sip of his wine and did the Cary Grant impersonation, he said, "So, tell me, how many years older are you than Steve?"
1: <laughs> Bad move. Not not his best opening line.
2: (laughs) Anyway, happy birthday to Steve. Um, Cara, which interview
1: most irritated you this week? Well, it was actually last week, but it's been irritated. I'm still irritated by it. (laughs) Nothing I can stand more, nothing I can stand less than when people are interviewed who don't call the interviewer by their name. Now, it is not that hard. And last week, um... what do you mean? Oh, hello, Lee. Yeah, well, Laura, I mean, or... a classic example nice of to this. See you. Footballers do it all the time. That they they come on radio shows, and it's so easy to say, "Hi, Caro," but "Hi, guys," "Hi, thank you." Say to the producer before you come on air, "What is your name?" So my case in point was um, actually last week, a wonderful South African golfer by the name of Ashley Buhai won the Australian Open for the second year in a row. It was a, it came down to the wire against Minji Lee. She did really well. and you know Monday, last Monday was her time to shine. Mm. I heard her on three different radio stations on Monday. Not once did she call anyone. By their name. And I just thought, well, you are a silly woman. And I think this about men all the time. In fact, Collingwood's captain, Scott Pendlebury, or ex-captain, one of my favourite players of all time. Yeah, former captain. He never calls anyone. But maybe he started in the last year, but he's been bad at it. That's just one example. I don't want to single out a woman. But, Ashley, why didn't you call any of the people who interviewed you from – I think there was Sam Edmund or Julian DeStoop and Sam McClure and someone else on um, an FM station – no, I wa- uh, by the end of the third, and and you know she sort of warmed up in all of the interviews. Clearly, media is not her thing, but why wouldn't you use that time to endear yourself to the media?
2: Oh, Kara, and one thing also that sticks in my craw in relation to this is when you don't introduce yourself in a public forum. So for, this is an example, and I did a bit of um, a bit of coaching with a golf club a few years ago, which was about to have a big international. Um, competition at the golf club. And I said, every time one of you gets up and addresses... Anybody, whether it's the volunteers or the dinner that the night before, or whatever it is, say, Hi, my name is Caroline Wilson. I am president of the club. Or, Hi, I'm Corey Perkin. I am captain of the club. And even last week at, at another golf club event, somebody stood up and said, Hi, everybody. Good to have you here. And this is that. And this is that. And we, you know, did this and did that. And I, I said, Who is it? Who is that person? Who is that person? You know, never assume that everybody knows who you are. Good tip.
1: Yes. Um. Now, Corrie, what made you feel young yesterday? You felt young and old all in one day. Going for my first swim of the season. Oh, really?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, well, I think if you live in uh, if you live around Port Phillip Bay, it's always a big event because you think it's going to be terrifying. It's taken cold. until now. Yeah, I haven't been for a swim. I haven't in the water in the in the in the bay. No. Really. So, I th- so the ba- first space swim. So apart from nearly knocking myself out with the car door on my head. Um can you see my bruise? Is it coming up?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. You've got a little marker. Um, sorry I'm you've sorry been to hear about Bashing that. me up
2: again. Um but I was so excited and I when I raced down the path and I thought, God, I just I, this never disappears. Even when I was a kid growing up in Hampton, we used to as soon as the summer holidays started, we used to race down to the beach and so excited and I still have that excitement. So that's where I thought we'd, I'd just end that thought today. And
1: you end it. Why don't you tell us about your amazing fact? Well, you know what they say, you never regret a swim. It was very cold. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I swam a bit in November, particularly... And I saw you in, the, I saw you in early, the big bath. Yeah, I think my first one might have been October. People who swim in July, August, I'm very impressed by I took by Panda
2: that. in with me. She was straight out. She was like... Them.
1: I'm not staying here. <laughs> Hopefully it's a bit warmer by now. It's like it's sort of city Actually, weather at the moment. I shouldn't say I have panda on the beach. So I'll probably get a big fine. Speaking of weather, Corrie, my amazing fact is about... A Part of Australia I had never been to up until last week, and that is the Monaro, or I think they pronounce it their Monaro region of southern New South Don't Wales. Do you
2: remember all those, all those elections with yeah, your well, friend Anthony?
1: Yes, well, I've, Eden I've, Monaro. I've, I've heard about it on, you know, I've, I've, in fact, everywhere. When you go to Canberra, Sorry, you go. Sorry, Anthony. When you're Very in Canberra, nice. you see all these. Uh, Names of places, you go, Oh, I know that place because of watching election coverage. Anyway, the Monaro, Monero region, sort of it. I suppose um, we're talking about being in the rain shadow of the snowy mountains or at the foot of the snowy mountains and Cooma, I guess, is your nearest big town. But I went with my family to two wonderful open gardens. And, you know, this has been my thing this year, going to gardens, and I'm planning on doing a lot more of it next year. But these two places were absolutely fascinating. And my amazing fact is about these two houses, and in particular, Hazeldean. Dean, um, this this goes back to the 1850s, Hazeldean. It, it's not far from Coma. It's very famous. It's a beautiful house. Um, it was built. I think the original part of the house, the original stone stone homestead, was built in the early eighteen sixties and demolished. The new house was built in nineteen oh seven, and the famous architect, um, Professor Leslie Wilkinson, over oversaw um, major renovations in the nineteen thirties and designed a top story that the family, it's still the same family, who have been there since the eighteen fifties, the, the Litchfield family, they built the second story, on this unbelievably beautiful house in 2019, following Professor Wilkinson, this famous... New South Sydney architect who you know well and who designed a lot of famous houses here in Melbourne as well. They did it all those years later, pretty much following his original designs. The elevation of um, this land is about 900 metres, rainfall about 500 millimetres or 20 inches. So they're in the rain shadow of the snowy mountains. Gardening is a challenge and yet they grow the most beautiful, beautiful flowers. um, um, Peonies. Libby Litchfield, Elizabeth Litchfield, the current um, wife of the um, Jim Litchfield, who is the current owner, Lib and Jimmy run it, or their daughter, in fact, is now the farm manager, grows these beautiful peonies. But the house itself and the land itself, Corrie, is you're driving around this region of Australia. There's no trees. It's just a plain. And once in a while, you hit this little oasis of poplars. So we went to another house called Shirley, which is near a, another a much smaller town called Nimitable, about 45 minutes from Cooma. And this is another absolutely beautiful house and has been in the Cottle family since the 1930s, I think. And um, the current owners, the current owner has become pretty much the gardener and his son has become the farm manager. And um, in I think it was in the year 2000, after 10 years because he was a second son, his elder brother decided he wanted to move away and and the current Cottle owner moved in, John, and his wife sally Ann. In 2000, they decided they couldn't do the gardening on their own, their designs. The original garden, which was quite famous, needed to be upgraded. So they brought um, brought in Paul Bengay, who has done... You know, you've got your parterre garden. You've got a beautiful lake that was already there. Um, John Cottle actually built a little beach with a little boat shed on this lake. Corrie, there's a secret garden, a hidden garden. The and house, Are these open to the public? They open twice a year, which and is why you were up there. Yeah, um, it's um, the Instagram site is Private Gardens of Monaro, or you can follow Hazel Dean. On in- I follow Hazel Dean on Instagram. On Instagram and. Um, Facebook, But these uh, Monaro got, got treeless it. plains, and the only thing you see, it, like oases every five minutes, are these little clumps of poplars around Beautiful. water. You've, and got,
2: you've got to love a house called Shirley, don't you?
1: It, don't call me Shirley. What was it, Flying High? You're flying High. It, the we spent the happiest day and you know you, look you pay a certain amount of money they're very small tours only about 30 people and they open in autumn and in spring we of course went in spring only as i said about 30 people you go to the first house have a beautiful morning tea oh did you have did you have a carload
2: of the aunts or is it just you and
1: your mum and one aunt and one one sister, <laughs> all in the one car. Yep, and then we ended up in Barrow. We ended up in the Southern Highlands. It was a big driving day, but honestly, it was one of the more beautiful parts of Australia, and I've never well, been that's there. Really the Monaro really region of New South Wales. My that's, amazing fact.
2: Well, that sounds like a lovely fact, especially if people can just diary date for next year and go and see those gardens.
1: I think, and I'll say again, it's a private garden. They used to do three gardens, but the third garden, I think, the couple's got to be too old. But the owners themselves. I mean, Hazel Dean is famous for. It's cattle and, and sheep, and they have amazing sales every year. And, you know, the, the sheds are just extraordinary. It's quite, they've even built a, a bar um, next to the sale yard. Really? Oh, I don't know where the sale prices are so good this year. Just
2: oh, I th- saying.
1: Think they, they, I think they do, oh. do pretty well. So, yes, Private Gardens of Monaro. Follow them on Instagram. Corrie. It has been lovely to see you today in our penultimate episode. I'm
2: looking forward to next week and we will be joined next week with Anna from the Op Shop, Anna Barry.
1: And remember, don't shoot the messenger's 300th birthday, 29th of February, 5.30 for 6pm start. Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne. We'll be there, Corrie, with Brad Scott as our special guest. Among others, you'll get a drink, you'll get nibbles. The tickets are $50. There's going to be a link in the show notes, along with Chris Keel's very complicated, but not that complicated when you do it, Prawn Bisque. Uh, Remember, the first 50 people who book to our event will receive an LO Botanicals gift. Thank you to our friends at Red Energy. And, Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Cory Perkin. We love hearing from you, so join us on Facebook or Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod or email us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do it is to tell a friend to listen. Your word of mouth recommendations are just so greatly appreciated. And of course, you can support our wonderful sponsors who make the podcast possible. Red Energy awarded Canstar's most trusted energy providers three times maybe it's time you switch to red Cobram Estate Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil grown harvested and first cold pressed in northern Victoria and Prince Wine Store Bank Street South Melbourne and delivering Australia wide visit princewinestore.com.au